Welcome to On the Job with Porak, your go-to place for public safety and officer rights, giving you the news you need to know and discussing the issues that matter. Welcome to On the Job with Porak. I'm Brian Marvel, president of Porak, and today we have Randy Perry with Aaron Reed and Associates. He's been uh, Porak's uh, advocate here in Sacramento for 20 years, maybe more. 36. 36 years, wow. I didn't want to say that, but uh, <laughs> it's a long time. Um, you know, I think you work for and have done fantastic job for Porak and uh, public safety for the state of California for that time. Um, but, you know, your office and your firm is... Uh, I have to say, is the best in the state of California for what you guys do here. Thank you. Very nice. Very nice of you. Uh, you and Aaron make an awesome team and the support staff, uh, just incredible. So today, uh, I really want to talk about, uh, I want to wrap up the 2018 year, uh, the legislative year. Uh, maybe we can talk about uh, some of our successes, uh, some of our places that we lost and uh, the elections a little bit. We don't really have to dive too much into 931, 1421, or 748 since we did uh, podcasts on those already. If you want to hear those, uh, just review some of the podcasts that we've done in the past, and uh, you can find those on our website at uh, porac.org. So, uh, you know, based on your – actually, you know what? Why don't, we do, why don't we do a little bio of yourself to introduce you to uh, a lot of our members who – may not necessarily know you because you work so hard here in Sacramento for us. Sure. Um, thank you. I appreciate you having uh, having our firm represented on the podcast. So I started, actually was hired by PORAC when I graduated college in 1982. I was a uh, legislative assistant and quickly within that year they had me register as a lobbyist. Back then we had a, a lobbyist who was very well known but was... <laughs> quite old, um, Joe Farber, and he was a very powerful lobbyist at the time, but he was, no one really knew how old Joe was. It was kind of a a running joke around the office, but he started uh, forgetting things once in a while, so they kind of attached me to Joe Farber and made my job as a kind of the junior lobbyist, um, following Joe around and making sure that everything was completed. So that's how I began in 1982. Stayed uh, as in-house lobbyist for PORAC and became their manager of the Office of Governmental Affairs and directed both the political action and the lobbying for 15 and a half years. And then in 1997, uh, they wanted to, PORAC wanted to um, get an outside lobbyist as well so they talked to Aaron Reed and Associates. They actually talked to me and said, who would you recommend? And I said, Aaron Reed, uh, who was a good friend at the time. We had worked together. He, he was representing the Highway Patrol Association and CAL FIRE. So on the public safety front, Aaron was the leader. And he was my mentor. And so at one point, they addressed... Um, that issue by contacting Aaron, asking him if he would interview with them, and did. And Aaron said that he would only do it if I came over and 
came out of Porek and worked for Aaron Reed and Associates. And so in June of 97, June 1st, I started working here and been here for 20, what, in 2019 will be 22 years I've been here. Wow. Very impressive. And uh, I can imagine over those time, over that time, you've seen a lot of stuff. And uh, just looking at the recap for this year, so it looks like uh, 1,217 bills came across the governor's desk. Uh, he signed 1,016 of them. He vetoed 201. And uh, it looks like this was his highest veto rate in his 16-year tenure, 16.5%. Um, that's amazing, the amount of legislation that comes out of the Capitol. Now, keep in mind, that's just the number of bills that made it to the governor's desk. The bill introduction number was probably well over 5,000 bills, of which Aaron Reed and Associates reads every single bill and the amended versions. Each time the bill's amended, it's reprinted, goes back, and we have to read what those amendments were. PORAC generally takes about positions on about three to 400 bills a year. Yeah, that's just uh, that's that number is absolutely incredible, and the amount of staff time required to uh, to review that, and you got to figure, you know, we're only one organization. Um, all the organizations up here at the Capitol that are uh, advocating for their causes um, are all putting in the same amount of hours to review bills and legislation, talk to the elected officials, talk to their community members, and advocate on that um, is just uh, it's phenomenal. Um, uh, but then again, we are, you know, one of the largest states in the union, and uh, we do have, I think, 40 million people now in our state. So obviously, one of our highest priorities is public safety and uh, trying to address all of the legislation that comes out uh, regarding public safety is almost seems like an insurmountable task. Uh, you know, being my first year up here, uh, the amount of work um, versus me being down at a local association, I think, quadrupled. <laughs> Uh, and it's great that we have an organization or uh, a company or uh, advocates like you working on our behalf to, to review that and, and sort of summarize all of this stuff because, um, you know, on top of all the other work, it would be impossible to, to uh, have a handle on the amount of uh, legislation that's proposed and how we have to get in there and either advocate for it or uh, be opposed to it. So let's talk a little bit about some of that legislation. Um, I know there was, uh, we've been really hammering away on the, the major three bills, which I think sort of sucked the life out of the Capitol um, and, and consumed an inordinate amount of uh, time to, to, to try to, uh, to basically kill those bills. But, um, you know, there was a whole plethora of other legislation that we had to work on that we supported and opposed. And I think it would be a good time to actually talk about some of that. So what are your thoughts on uh, some of the successes that we had in regards to the legislation uh, that we supported? You know, you actually raise a very good point that I think probably most of our members don't realize. They hear about, as you said, they hear about the, you know, the big issues that we're fighting or sponsoring and pushing. But the reason we're tracking nearly 400 bills is because there are a lot of other issues that affect the law enforcement profession. You have professional bills that talk about your training, officer training. You have bills on workers' compensation that we have to constantly be vigilant on um, for any injuries our officers uh, get in the field. 
uh, we have our, obviously our pension issues that we have to protect. Um, there are a lot of other issues about bargaining, peace officer bill of rights, um, uh, the equipment you use, who pays for that equipment, is it safe equipment, do you bargain over the use of that equipment, and there are a lot of issues that the average cop on the street doesn't realize that PORAC has to be vigilant on. It's an entire profession, and all of those areas are what we all have to track and, and be a part of. We have to give the opinion of, of PORAC and their members on every one of these bills to the people introducing them. They don't even contact us most of the time. They don't know how it will impact us, so they don't think to contact PORAC. That's why we read all of the bills, and we will contact them and say, no, this is a bad bill. Do you have any idea how this will affect the officer on the street? And they will almost 100% of the time will say, I did not even think that this was going to impact law enforcement or how it would impact law enforcement. So we have to educate them. Most of the time, we can get them to drop the bill or amend the bill favorably, and then we can move on. Yeah, that's uh, that's great to hear. And uh, you know, one of the ones that there was that we can talk about is uh, AB two eighty four. That was introduced by uh, Assemblymember McCarty out of Sacramento. Uh, it's a Department of Justice. It was an officer involved shootings uh, about reporting officer involved shootings, and uh, you know, having the Attorney General's office uh, look at officer involved shootings. Um, this was an interesting one, and in a fact that. Um, you know, there will, this bill, I guess, was just another avenue to investigate officer-involved shootings. And so you got the department doing one. You got the district attorney one doing one. The AG is now going to do another one, or at least that was the intent of this, and to create uh, teams, I guess, around the state. to Three teams. To investigate all of these. And it's just the amount of redundant investigations is uh, – I don't know, what, what are your thoughts on why people want to continue to propose that we need to have investigation after investigation? Is it, are they trying to look for the answer that they perceive that it should be? Or is it really necessary to have all of these investigations on an officer-involved shooting? No, I, I think you hit it at the very beginning. And that is, if you go back to, for example, Ferguson. Ferguson, the department did their investigation. Then the district attorney did the investigation. And because both of those found that the shooting was warranted, um, then they went to the attorney general. And at that point, the attorney general came back and found the same as the department and the district attorney. And so they continued to riot. And they said the AG is now in with the cops, right? So then the U.S. attorney came out and did an investigation and found the same thing. They did make some recommendations. Um, however, they did fine on the officers, uh, uh, for the officers. So they rioted and burned down the town of Ferguson. So clearly it showed that anytime they didn't get the answer they wanted in the investigation, they found that it was tainted. There was, you know, collusion and the like. That's why last year we ran AB 1428 by, uh, assembly member Evan Lowe, where we, with the whole purpose of that bill was to bring the public into the process of the investigation. Uh, when they file a complaint, keep them uh, abreast of what the investigation is occurring on their complaint, how it's going. Um, how is a complaint investigated by the DA or by the department? Um, what happens when that investigation is complete? 
what you put out to the public. We had a bill that did all of that. And the theory of that was if our hope was if the public were aware of how the investigation took place, what are the rights of the officer and the appeals of the officer? All of that, if they were aware of it and brought into the process and understood it better, that in the end, regardless of what the decision was, they were, there would be less anger. They would understand if they didn't like the process, then we could all sit down and talk about changing that process. But in the end, the goal was if they were in the process, then they would, there would be less anger. And that bill was held by the Democrats in the Senate. Yeah. It was very unfortunate because I thought that was a very good bill, moved things in the right direction. And, uh, you know, I still to this day don't understand the full reasoning on why the bill couldn't make it out because I really think it would have moved uh, the investigative process uh, in, a, in a very good direction that uh, everybody on both sides actually would have liked. Now, the, the next bill uh, that I'd like to talk to is AB 3131. This is from uh, Assemblyman Todd Gloria from San Diego, my home area. And this was about law enforcement agencies and military equipment uh, and funding and acquisition. It was funny when uh, I read the veto from the governor on this. Uh, you know, his one of his uh, issues he had was that it actually went above and beyond what the government requires in acquiring, you know, what the... the department would need to do to acquire this. Um, I really never understood the, the desire to, to run all of this military equipment through a city council. And if they don't do anything in 30 days, then the department can't get it. It's like, why would you want to tie an agency's hands uh, by not acquiring uh, certain types of free equipment when funding is a huge issue? Um, if a department was fully funded and got all of the funds necessary to acquire the equipment it needed, then yeah, you know what, this probably wouldn't be an issue. But the reality is, is departments are underfunded. They can't get the necessary equipment. And there's a lot of stuff that the military has that aren't tanks, that aren't bazookas, rocket launchers, or mortars that, you know, they point that some obscure police department in, in you know, some other state you know, they, they ordered a bazooka and it's like, and then, but they put that out there as if every police department in California now has a bazooka, which I've never, I mean, I've seen them because I've been in the service, but I've never seen a police department with a bazooka or any of the types of equipment that they're stating that police departments are getting. Um, a lot of this equipment that police departments are getting from the military are camouflage pants, uh, cooking equipment, um, you know, radio equipment, helicopters, that type of stuff that are needed and can be used by law enforcement. So I was really happy to see that the governor opposed this. But I was, uh, you deal with it on a day-to-day basis, what some of your thoughts were on this piece of legislation. Well, interestingly, <laughs> that this bill, when it was first introduced, you're correct. It, it had no exemptions. And then when we met with the author of the bill, we explained exactly what you said. We're talking about kitchen equipment and, and um, emergency services uh, equipment, helmets, b- uh, body armor, things that are crucial to the day-to-day uh, work of an officer on the street could not be purchased by the department unless a city council voted on it. 
And then you, as you mentioned, the 30-day issue was in there. The problem is this. When we did the research on this, we found that when things come on the computer, and, and there's a, there's, there are websites where you can go on the computer and find what's available, they only average about four to six days that you have to apply and try to get that equipment before it's gone. So by literally by introducing a spill and requiring a local age or a local uh, city council or board of supervisors to approve everything a department requested, it would eliminate almost all equipment from the feds. The, the time the timeline would have killed it all, all of it. So it's ridiculous. We pointed that out. We pointed out the helmet issue and the things that you mentioned. He started taking amendments to exempt some of that stuff. But in the end, we just said this is not an appropriate bill. And if you want to talk about this issue where we're disclosing what we have purchased after the fact, then we could talk about that. And he refused and we opposed the bill and got the governor to veto it. Yeah. I mean, I even then, I even the governor saw the... Uh the folly behind that and, and was supportive of uh, our position on that. And we're thankful for the governor for vetoing that. Um, let's talk about one more bill. And this one's a, a little bit of a, a touchier one. It's the uh, law enforcement agency's uh, surveillance equipment. Um, this would require law enforcement agencies to submit uh, to their governing bodies on a regularly scheduled hearing uh, proposed surveillance use of policy um, and technology information that's collected by that. Um, it also would have required uh, law enforcement agencies to cease using this type of equipment if uh, the plan was not adopted by uh, a governing body. And it's just, uh, this is another one of these things where they want to hamstring law enforcement in trying to uh, do their jobs, keeping our community safe. You know, a lot of the equipment that uh, the surveillance equipment is used for uh, people that are kidnapped, uh, for uh, cartel-related and organized crimes. Um, I just don't see why blasting this out and putting it on Front Street is a benefit to public safety. Um, does that mean that I think that law enforcement and the government should use this equipment carte blanche? Absolutely not. Uh, we have a Constitution. We have a Bill of Rights. I fully support those, but I do think that there needs to be other mechanisms to make sure that public safety is being protected and that law enforcement and uh, agencies like that uh, do have protocols in place. I'm not sure what that exactly looks like, but I think having a public discussion on every piece of surveillance equipment that law enforcement uses, I think uh, you just open up the ability for people who are trying to commit heinous crimes on Americans in our country. Uh, it just hampers our ability to do our job. And I just think that this bill was just, it was terrible from the start. And uh, I was just interested what your thoughts are on that and how this came about. I mean, we did successfully uh, um, uh, kill this bill, but I anticipate that these types of bills will be forthcoming in the future and will continue to come until, um, I don't know, until law enforcement can't use any equipment. We're just going to be back to, to running around on, you know, walking. Yeah, I agree. This is an interesting bill. This is a second year that Senator Hill, who is generally a good friend of Porax, um, has introduced this bill. It comes, it originally came because there was a city in his district that had the stinger. It was using, no, stinger or stingray? Stingray. 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 stingray I'm sorry. 
And the Stingray, uh, it became public through the media and through a reporter. And when it was told that they had the Stingray, the reporter blew it up and went to the public and said, you know, and started actually making accusations of the, the, the illegal use of it um, that did not occur, apparently. So um, introduced this bill. We sat down with him. And, and the interesting story behind this bill is this year, toward the end of the session, the senator called in several of the law enforcement advocates and showed us a video from a, a, a documentary where China was using facial recognition to basically rate all of its citizens. In other words, it would have your face, anytime you walked in a store or walked in any building, it would recognize your face and it would tell whether or not you were kind of an at-risk, if you will, member of society. And if you were, if you had gotten in trouble for something or you, you did something illegal or something that just the, the Chinese government, the socialist government didn't like, you were called kind of an at-risk member of society and it, they limited your travel and all that. But the bottom line was this was a, a communist, not socially, a communist country using facial, facial recognition and he wanted us to see this video because he was concerned that California was going to go down this direction through law enforcement. And it was unbelievable. This is a very smart senator, by the way, very intelligent. It was unbelievable that his concern and ended up being the basis for SB 1186 was based on that documentary that was done on a communist country on the other side of the world. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's interesting. And, you know, I've always been of the belief that even if an agency doesn't have a piece of equipment, the fact that people don't know that they don't have that equipment to do that helps deter people from doing stuff. And when you start hampering law enforcement's ability to use technology to its advantage to rescue a hostage or deter a terrorist action, um, isn't that good for the public? Because... You know, I walked away from this going, it sounds like the legislature wants to let terrorists do stuff that needs that they want to do and jeopardize uh, our safety or the cartel to continue to human traffic people. Why not give law enforcement the resources and tools necessary to make sure that that type of stuff doesn't happen? And absolutely, have the necessary protocols and regulations in place to make sure that it's not abused. But... There's got to be a better way in which we can figure this out to where uh, it doesn't have to be this spectacle that we're starting to see at, uh, at city councils and board of supervisors when it comes to these types of technologies. Um, you know, you're going to have 100 people protesting saying that their phone was done XYZ with a lot of this technology. It may or may not be true, but how do you really verify that in a sense of, uh, you know, is the agency doing something that it's not supposed to be doing? And those are the questions that we need to dig deeper into. And I, we don't have the time today to do that. But, you know, this is type of stuff that I think I think is incumbent upon us to try to educate our elected officials better on, on, on the equipment that we are being used and, and letting them know exactly how it's being used, why it's being used, and that there are those safety valves and protocols in place to make sure that it's not being abused. 
I agree with with technology changing so rapidly. We do need protocols and we do do need the discussion. But to just run bills and ban stuff is not the answer. Exactly. Well, I got to wrap it up there. Uh, we could probably talk all day about uh, statewide legislation. I think you got a little taste of uh, the amount of legislation that actually gets done here in Sacramento. It's off the hook busy, especially when they're in session, which is right around the corner. Uh, it's coming up next month in January. And then also, you know, we have uh, a new session starting. We got new elected officials. So our job of educating these folks um, is, is even more important now in 2019 than it was in 2018. And uh, we have some new executive officers coming in place. So uh, it'll be an interesting year. Look forward to having more podcasts in the future, uh, having Randy on and, and talking about uh, future legislation and um, you know stuff that's going on here at the Capitol. So I'm going to close it off with that. I want to thank you for listening to the show. Hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Please follow us on our social media platforms and go to porac.org for more info, porac.org. If you're listening to us on iTunes or Google, please give us five stars. This helps us to get noticed. Don't forget to share our podcast with your members, friends, and families. All the best and have a safe day. Thank you. That's it for this episode. Make sure you tune in next time as we discuss the issues that matter. 